Hi, friend. My name is Amy Joy, and this is the Make Prayer Beautiful podcast. I have been spending the last couple of days reflecting on the beautiful story in Mark 5 of the healing of Jairus' daughter and the woman with the flow of blood. So yesterday we had just finished how Jesus had sent the woman away and how he had said, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? And this is a really intense moment because this entire chapter feels a little bit like, fortunately, unfortunately, fortunately, Jesus was able to cast all of the demons out with the man who had a legion of them. Unfortunately, all of the demons ran into the pigs and they ran down into the sea and were drowned. Fortunately, the man with demons was no longer going to be a problem for the community, but went around telling about what Jesus had done for him. Unfortunately, the people were pretty sad about the amount of money that was lost, and so they asked Jesus to leave. Fortunately, where he went next, a bunch of people came around him, and fortunately, Jairus came and was like, hey, can you please come and heal my daughter? Unfortunately, on the way, they had to stop and talk to a woman, and it took a long time. And really, unfortunately, in the meantime, the man's daughter died. So you have this like, hooray, Jesus did a healing, and now it's going to take a long time. And now, even worse, the daughter has just died. And so in the midst of this kind of like, yay, oh, yay, oh, chapter, this is a pretty intense moment. Like, oh, Jesus, were you really supposed to talk to the woman with the flow of blood for that long? If you hadn't spent that half hour talking to her, Jairus' daughter might still be alive. But because you waited, now she's not. And it's all your fault. I mean, it's not quite stated that baldly in the text, but you kind of get that sense. Like, why are you bothering the teacher anymore? It's not going to work. It took too long. Oh, and so now you have kind of that sense of like, why did Jesus wait this long to deal with this woman who... I mean, she's not even important. Jairus is the leader of the synagogue. You can hear the voices of accusation coming and like tearing. It's just, oh, it's like this horrible, horrible section in this passage. And then you have these, the family that's just like, you or the servants, they're just like, you shouldn't even, like, don't even have him come. It's hopeless. It's too late. And you have Jairus who's like, yeah, why did I take so long to go to Jesus? Maybe I, could I have gotten there any sooner? And so in the midst of this, overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. And this is an interesting moment. I mean, there's this part where if you've ever had like a really extreme shock happen to you, it's very possible that Jairus was not even fully comprehending at this point what was going on. I mean, I'm sure on some level he was, but is there that sense of like, no, no, we're just going to keep going. It's going to be fine. You know, Jairus is not going to be like, no, please stay away. It's more like, well, I'm heading home anyway. Might as well let the teacher still come. And so <laughs> in that way, it's it's beautiful that Jairus, I, assuming, I'm assuming, was believing. But uh, what does that actually mean? <laughs> he clearly believed enough to go and try to get Jesus to begin with. But I think it's beautiful for Jesus to just be like, I'm just taking over here. (laughs) So then it says, 
He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And why is this? I'm not sure. It could be that it's kind of like, okay, all you other disciples, can you please hold back the crowd and maybe deal with them, talk to them? The three of us, Jairus and the servants, need to move on a little bit faster in order to get where we're going. Um, it could be that that's part of it. It could be, and I, I actually wonder about this, that when you're facing something that requires faith, you need to be around other people who have faith. So Graham Cook has this really beautiful story in his book, Crafted Prayer. I'm trusting that that's where I read this, about how he had a friend, I think named John, who had a cancer diagnosis. And the group, the friend group had gathered together to pray. And they were praying all of these different directions of prayer, like, please be with him as he goes through chemo. Please heal him so he doesn't have to go through chemo. Please be with him as he prepares to meet you, Jesus. Please just heal him today so that he just never has cancer again. I mean, all over the place where they were kind of like prayers that were canceling each other out, if that makes sense. And so grandma's like, you know what? Hey, let's all go and spend about 20 minutes just with the Lord and ask the Lord what his desire for our prayers for this person are supposed to look like. And after 20 minutes, when they came back together, they, they all shared what they had been hearing. And the people who had been hearing the same thing, it was like, okay, these are the ones who have been called to pray for John. And the ones who were kind of hearing other things, it's like, we bless you, but kind of like, we're not going to invite you back. And in this case, it was a healing, but it was like, this is going to be a healing that you have to walk out with Jesus. It's not going to be a healing today. And so... As I remember, it was something like that group got together monthly for the next 29 months or something like a crazy long time. And John was eventually completely healed. But it was like the team that had the faith, like we have heard together what the Lord is doing. We're hearing the same thing. We are the ones who are going to be able to pray in faith because it's kind of like the Lord has given us communally the blueprint that we're after. And so I wonder sometimes, like, is that part of the reason why Jesus was like, I just need the people who are the most pro me to come along with me. I need them. I don't need people who are dragging me down in faith. I don't know if that's exactly the answer. It could be that he just needed nine extra bouncers to kind of keep the people off. But in any case, it doesn't say why, but it just says that he did. uh, He didn't let anyone follow him except Peter, James and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. Oh man, this is an intense scene. So in that culture, uh, not only were you supposed to really give vent to your feelings, But they actually would hire people who kind of did this professionally. So you have your mourners who it's like they have perfected the art of wailing. They have they have loud voices and they are willing to use them on behalf of the grief stricken. So it's not like I feel like sometimes in Western culture, it's kind of like I will hand you a Kleenex. But if you're going to cry audibly, could you please go and do it in another room into your pillow? Because it's going to upset the rest of us. No, in this culture, it's like. Just let it all hang out because you're going to need that emotional purge because this is an intense situation and it's very sad. So 
here Jesus is, he's coming into this very loud, chaotic kind of scene. And what he says to them, (laughs) why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. And I don't know why he said this. I wonder if there's an element of saying, I'm giving you an option for thinking differently. I wonder if there's a part where he came in kind of like, like almost bewildered, like I'm life. Life has just entered this room. Actually, why are you sad? (laughs) You know, kind of like when the life comes, why are you worried about death? That's odd. So like maybe it was an actual question and befuddlement, or maybe it was kind of more like a challenge to think differently. Maybe he was saying that as a... I mean, certainly there's an an element of prediction, like this is what, or prophetic declaration, this is what is about to happen. Um, But what it says, and this is the part that's, oh, I really don't like. It says, but they laughed at him. And I think in one of the translations, it says they laughed him to scorn. You know, and so there's this part where it's like, oh, we're all, you know, engaged in our emotional wailing here. But now you've said that she's asleep and we are going to turn and we are going to mock you. We're going to scorn you. You're such an idiot. You think we don't know when somebody dies? You think we don't know about pulses? You don't think we know about holding something up against her mouth to see that her breath isn't happening anymore? You don't think we can tell when the, the blood recedes from the skin and she turns white? Like, are you kidding me? Of course we know all of this. And yet... There's this part where it's so ugly to be scornful. Oh, so Jesus, I really don't like that part of this story. And so there's a part, Jesus, where I'm just thankful that you come. I'm thankful that you come into our mess, that you participate in the ways that we mock you, that you're like, you're, you're just willing to be there, even, even though there is mocking, even though there is scorning. Oh, Jesus, I thank you for the way that you come and ask us questions that you didn't just say like, ta-da, life is here. But instead it's like, yeah, why is this happening? And so Lord, in the way that you're so open with us, that you ask us questions. Thank you, Lord. Oh, we give you praise. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.